0: On this episode, Noah's Ark and the Flood, and how that's compared to the second coming of Jesus. Hello everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study and writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is Episode 7, and today we're going to be going over Lesson 11 of the Creation, Corruption, and Destruction Study. Last episode we read in Chapter 6 of Genesis, and we talked about all of the people between Adam and Eve and Noah. And we also discussed how corrupt the world had gotten and that God was going to destroy the earth. And so this week we're going to be talking about that actually happening. We also discussed Noah and how he had pleased God and that he and his family were going to be saved whenever the flood came. So this week, we're going to pick up there and talk about Noah building the ark and the flood coming. So let's start reading in Genesis 6, 13. It says, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh that has got the breath of life in it. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female." of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you, and you will keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself all of the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it will be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. So we're going to stop right there, and we're going to discuss the ark just a little bit. This word that's used for ark, we usually think of it as a boat. And it is a boat, but no boats really have a covering on them. And so this was supposed to distinguish that it's not your regular kind of boat. It's the kind of boat that's going to be fully enclosed. So this word is generally used for like a coffin, or it's also used for the basket that Moses floated in whenever they were hiding him as a baby in the river. It's also used for the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically a chest. It was a box with a lid on it that they kept in the tabernacle. And so this is basically an enclosed boat. And God gives him the dimensions of this boat. He tells him exactly how he wants him to make it. A cubit is around a foot and a half. So this boat was going to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall and it's gonna have three levels of rooms inside of it. God also tells him to seal it inside and out so that obviously the water can't get in. And then he says, finish it up to a foot and a half from the top, making a window. So this could have been a completely open roof where it's just got sides and then the top of it is just open, or it could have been an open space with a covering over the top of it. We're not exactly sure what it looked like, but obviously Noah knew. There's definitely more information that Noah gets over the course of the time of building this boat than what we see here, but God is very detailed and he lets Noah know exactly what he wants him to build and how. And he explains to Noah that him and his family are going to go in this boat and only they will be saved from this flood. Everything else outside the boat that has the breath of life in it will die. So every person, every animal that's not inside the boat will die. At the end, it tells him to take two of every animal with him inside of the boat. But let's go ahead and read in verse 7 because he gives him a little more detail in chapter 7, I mean. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in all generations. You shall take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its female, two of each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also, seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the earth. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth. Forty days and forty nights I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And so Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So, here we see that he takes two of a lot of the animals, but he takes seven of the clean animals onto the ark with them. So, it's not just two of every animal, like we might have heard in Sunday school. This is why, as adults, we talk about things like this, because you're not going to explain clean and unclean animals and which animals got on the ark and which ones didn't and all of that to first graders and often we just think we know this story and we don't go back and study it as adults and there's things that we actually never knew once we go back and read these things as adults now some bibles say two pair of animals seven pair some of them just say like what i just read in the new king james version seven a male and his female which indicates seven pair So there were much more animals on the boat than a person might think. Here in what we just read, it says that God is telling him, You have seven days from this moment, and then I'm going to send the floodwaters on the earth, so you need to get prepared. In verse 21 of chapter 6, it tells him to take food and gather all of it and then to take all of the animals. So in this seven days, Noah's probably gathering this food and getting all the animals in the boat and getting his family settled. Most likely God was sending these animals to him and he wasn't having to go out and search for two of every kind of unclean animal and seven of every clean and bring them in and make sure that he got them all. God is sovereign and he is in charge so I'm sure that he's bringing these animals to Noah and Noah's loading them on the boat and again getting everything ready because he knows that in seven more days God's going to send the floods. We're going to go ahead and read the rest of this chapter, and then we're going to discuss everything in further detail. So beginning in verse 7 of chapter 7. So Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that were unclean, of birds and everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded him. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the foundations of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth for forty days and forty nights." On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and their three wives, went with them, entered the ark, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which has the breath of life in it. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Now the flood was on the earth for forty days. The waters increased and lifted the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed fifteen cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and the birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. So first of all, when God came to Noah and told him that he was going to destroy the earth, it had been just a little over 1500 years since he had created the earth in the beginning. And it had taken that amount of time for the people to just become so corrupt that he wanted to start over with a fresh group that walked with him. And Noah and his family did that. It keeps telling how old Noah is and what month it is because that helps us know how old the earth is at this time and also how long they're on the ark, things like that. And it'll continue all through explaining from the time they got on the ark till the time that they got off. It'll do this giving the dates. And so if you look at that, you'll see that they were on the ark for around a year, which is an incredibly long time to be stuck in a small space with your family and a bunch of animals. So I'm sure it was difficult. But again, if you know that this is the only way that you're being saved, then obviously it's worth it. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the animals because there are a lot of animals on the ark and there's been speculation as to were some of the animals not included because maybe that's how like dinosaurs got extinct, things like that. We know that God says every animal that walks the earth, every bird of the field. So there weren't any animals left out. Although it did have to be several animals that were on the ark, there was over a hundred thousand square feet of living space. So it was a big boat. Also for space, they could have been younger animals that might not have been so large and taking up so much space. Also in the grand scheme of things, the majority of animals are not huge. Another thing that's brought up is how in the world could you preserve every species of animal on a boat? So my Bible says two of every sort. Some of them say kinds. So we know that they're not every different type of dog that is on the ark. We do not have Pomeranians and Great Danes and all of that. They're not taking two of those and two of a different kind of dog and things like that that would be definitely way too many animals. And so let's take, for instance, that deer are clean. You can include one pair of antelope, one pair of white-tailed deer, one elk, etc., and you would be able to preserve this species. And then if cats are unclean, you could still do one pair of lions, one pair of tigers, one pair of cheetahs, and so on, and that would still equal around seven So it would cut down on the numbers significantly. No matter how it was done, we know that God allowed for it. He made the boat the exact dimensions that it needed to be in order to support the exact number of animals that were going to be taken on. And no one knew exactly what it is that God wanted him to do. That brings up another point about the rooms is there's just so many things to speculate on, so many things to think about. Are all the rooms the same size or did he have different sizes for different animals? And if he had different sizes for different animals, then he had to literally bring each animal in and say, this is your room because this is the space that I gave for you. That seems very time consuming. You know, how was everyone organized in this boat? Then you have to think about things like, what did they eat? How did they feed that many animals? There were only eight of them, eight people with all of these animals. Some have said that maybe the animals were hibernating, and so they didn't have to deal with all of this feeding. But we do know that in verse 21, God tells Noah to bring food into the ark and that it will be food for the people and for the animals. So the animals are being fed. Now, maybe not every single one of the animals or not every single one at the same time, but we know that all of them are not hibernating for the entire year. We also know that the food that he brought on the ark had to be food that would last. And so seeds, nuts, things that would keep. This brings up another point as to what did they drink? Because if you're eating seeds and grass and things like that, you're gonna need something to drink. When God told him to design the ark, it does say that he left it unfinished up to a foot and a half from the top. And so it's possible if there was absolutely no covering on that, that it was catching water. That would hold about 380,000 gallons of water, which would give them 1,000 gallons of water a day if that were to be happening. But also we learn in chapter 8 that Noah takes the covering off towards the end, so that would take some design. But definitely they had some way of catching water unless God just divinely made it where they didn't have to have it. It seems if he allowed for a way for them to eat, he would also allow for them a way to drink. So again, there's a lot of details that are left out of this that Noah knew and God knew, but the rest of us don't now. It's kind of fun to think about just how all of these things worked, but also we know that we can't be certain on any of these things. We just know that everything was allowed for. It was all taken care of, however they did it. One last thing would be, how did they take care of the waste of all of these animals There's also been theories that the largest animals were on the top deck and that the animals below them ate the food that they couldn't digest. And then the animals on the very lowest level ate the food that the animals above them couldn't digest and so that there wasn't any waste at all. And that's definitely a possibility. Again, we just don't know. But God made a way for it all to work. And we're so thankful that we have a God that can work out all the details for us and and beforehand so that we don't have to concern ourselves with them. Noah didn't have to worry about these things. He just had to carry out the plan that God already had for him. So now that we've talked a little bit about what it must have been like for them, we're going to go on and discuss how the flood actually came about. Notice in verse 10 that it says, After seven days, the water of the flood was on the earth. It came upon the people very suddenly. The floods compared to Jesus' return in several places. And so we're going to look at that. Matthew 24, 37 and 38 says, But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming of the son of man and then it goes on to just explain that the people will be going about their business and Jesus will come and take some and leave others What he's saying is the people were going about their business. They had absolutely no idea that the end was near. And then all of a sudden it's there and there's no chance. In verse 44 of chapter 24, in Matthew it says, therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you don't expect. So the whole point is to let us know that we need to be ready before Jesus comes because at the time that that happens, if we're not ready, then our chance is lost just as it was with those that didn't repent and make their way onto the boat. God wants us to be the ones that have find the righteousness before it's too late. Also notice in verse 11 of Genesis 7 where it says, On that day all the foundations of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So not only was it raining from the sky, but also the ground split open and water was shooting out from below the ground surface also. The volcanic activity would have definitely changed the temperature along with the landscape. The animals would have been rapidly buried, and so that would have preserved them as fossils because they wouldn't have been exposed to the elements and decayed. All of them obviously wouldn't have been. They would have been buried. This is something also that the creation scientists use in order to explain why the earth looks as though it's millions of years old, but it isn't. Regular scientists are saying that these things would have taken years and years, but the creation scientists are explaining, well, they would have been rapidly buried. And so their fossils would have been preserved in a very quick amount of time. And then also they look at the earth and how it has layers and layers built upon it, they believe, over millions of years. But also if you had this rapid flood coming where it's cutting through parts of the Earth earth and where mountains are being built and just all of the different things that would be happening, canyons that would be going through in a small amount of time. This would explain why it looks as though it's millions of years old, but it's not. As a matter of fact, Creation scientists have gone to these big canyons and started taking samples of places in order to study. And in some places they've been banned because their research is explaining exactly what the Bible is saying which directly contradicts what we're being told as fact. And that threatens these other scientists, and so they don't like for them to be studying about this. But again, they're real scientists that are looking at things from a scientific perspective, but they're also looking at it as if what the Bible says is true. The flood is a big thing that they use to explain a lot of these things away. And if you don't believe in the flood, obviously, then you would assume that it did take millions of years. But if you believe in the flood, then that can explain all of the problems that they have. The last thing I want us to look at is verse 16. Notice that it says, the Lord shut the door to the ark. Once the people were in, then God himself shuts the door because he is the one that is keeping them safe from the elements outside. God always provides a path to salvation for the righteous. And that's what He did for Noah and his family. 1 Peter three eighteen says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient. When once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of good conscience towards God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been subject to Him. So it also compares the flood waters to baptism now, Noah was being saved from these waters that were cleansing the earth. The waters were wiping the earth completely of all of the evil. And it was starting over new with Noah, just as it is a symbol, our baptism is a symbol of washing away the old evil parts of us and then us becoming new creatures in Christ. So there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of the flood being compared to Jesus and Christianity. God likes to give us tangible evidence of things so that we can see it and understand it more fully. So this lesson was just a little bit more fun speculating on things that we really don't know all that much about, but it's kind of fun to do that sometimes. What I want you to take away from it, though, is just how God provides a way to salvation for His people. Because Noah was righteous, then he was saved from destruction. And it's the same way with us if we're considered righteous in God's eyes. And the way, the only way that we can be considered righteous in God's eyes is to accept Jesus as our Savior, to acknowledge that we have sinned and that someone deserves to pay the price for that sin and that Jesus did that for all of us. When we accept His sacrifice for us, then He takes our sin upon Himself and He dies for that sin and it is buried with Him, never to be seen again. And then God sees us as righteous. Then we're saved from eternal separation from Him when we die. This is our only way to salvation. John fourteen six says, It's Jesus talking and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way. Believing in his sacrifice for us and making him Lord of our lives, that's really the only way for us to be saved from eternal destruction. So just as Noah was saved from the destruction of the earth, we're saved from eternal destruction through the blood of Jesus Christ. We just need to take this seriously and remind ourselves that we do need to be ready. Whenever our time comes for us to die or whenever Jesus comes back, whichever one comes first, we have to be ready because at that point, there's no more chances. Just like there was no more chance for the people that didn't make their way onto the boat, there's not going to be another chance for us. And since none of us know when that time's going to be, that should give us a sense of urgency. Make sure that we get things right with God right now so that we don't have to worry if our time comes, whether we're ready or not. There's a ton of passages all through the New Testament that talk about this, about getting ourselves ready. And this just gives another example of how suddenly it can come on. So evaluate your life. Make sure that you're ready for the end. If it were to come, that you will be found righteous by God and you will be able to enter the gates of heaven. So that's all we have today. Feel free to email me, Courtney, at livethroughjesus.com. Love to hear your questions or thoughts. Next week, we'll be talking about the ending of the flood and the people getting off the boat. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Thanks and have a good day.